Unfortunately, a lot of you are probably like me. I work really hard to make sure that no one ever sees nor believes that I am an emotional person. I work really hard at that. And then this time of year comes around. Every year, about the month of July, on the one TV channel that keeps me subscribing to cable TV, ESPN, they do this series called My Wish, part of the Make-A-Wish Foundation, where they take young kids and young adults and help them fulfill their sports fantasies. And these folks have had a rough time in life, medically, socially, and they help them fulfill some of these fantasies. Now, when I'm watching it, I try really hard to let no one know, nor anyone see me during those moments because things start happening in my eye region that I'm not familiar with and I don't know what to do with that. It seems as if ESPN tries each year to do things that make me a bumbling heap in my favorite chair, not knowing what to do with myself. So much so that I watch them more than once. They're online after they air live. And so I go watch them again and again in hiding behind closed doors because I want no one to see. And just this week, I was sitting back in the new office. If you haven't seen them, they're quite fantastic. I was sitting there and was going through this story that I want to tell you about this morning. And someone poked their head in, and I looked at them, and they saw the swollen red eyes and said, oh, I'm so sorry, and they just took off. They didn't realize what I was doing, and I didn't, I didn't care that they didn't know. I just wanted to continue watching my story. But that's what I do. Maybe you're like me. You blame the glasses, you take them off, and you wipe, or you blame the dog that mixes the dust in the air. Those are the kinds of things that I do so that no one ever knows that every once in a while I just need a good cry. You know, they say it's healthy. That's why I do it. <laughs> but the story today is about a young man named Jace. Jace's favorite baseball player is Dustin Pedroia, the second baseman for the Boston Red Sox. And Jace is 12. He's had three heart surgeries, two of them just in the first few months of life. And you can see there that Fenway welcomed him appropriately. He got to spend the day, a game day, with his favorite player, Got to hit balls with him, got to play catch with him, got to walk around the stadium together. He even got to throw out the first pitch at a Red Sox game with Pedroia catching. It was quite the day, and the Red Sox and ESPN were rather extravagant, as they are with every one of these stories. If you get a chance to watch them, I encourage it. Today's passage is about just such extravagance. Jace's family was more than thankful for what he was able to go through for that day. Today's about a woman who showed great love. A woman who understood what it meant to be forgiven. We've been weaving our tapestry all summer long with stories of characters from the gospel. And I think today's particular color of thread is pretty interesting. And I hope you'll stick with me for just a few moments because... As you heard in the story, there are three characters that I really want us to focus on. Now, there are more characters involved in this story because this is a dinner party and dinner parties get fun. And so there's more people than just Simon, this woman, and Jesus. But those are the ones that we are going to talk about. And the first one is indeed Simon, the one who did the inviting to the house. Now, this was no ordinary dinner party. When they threw a party, it was more of a banquet. There were lots of things that might be available for you. Lunch is coming soon, I promise. 
But we also know that Simon is a Pharisee, don't we? Now, we give Pharisees a bad rap, and, and probably rightly deserved, but really, they were the people of their day who were trying desperately to hold on to the traditions that they knew. They were unwilling to see that there might be a new way. They were unwilling to admit that they might be mistaken on a few things. They were there to make sure that the tradition stayed in place. That's what a Pharisee's job was. And so we have this Pharisee who invites Jesus, who, by the way, is the new way, to his home for this banquet. Now, this dinner party is probably different than one that you would throw. For instance, there's some laying around. When you go in and eat, you lay down to eat. What a deal. Table was low to the ground, pillows all around, and you just laid and ate. And God willing, you took a nap right after you were done. Right? That's what we would do. I dare you, next time you throw a dinner party, invite me and have us lay around and see what might happen. Your true friends will be the only ones left. That's how we know these kind of things. It also was a meal that's in an open court. These homes had an open court that opened to the street. And so what might happen were uninvited guests would just find their way in, not to the table because that is off limits, but around the edge, watching what was happening, not invited to eat, but to be in the atmosphere, to be in the area. Try that. Just open up to whomever might want to show and see what happens. Your true friends will be the ones that are left. So we, we learn that Simon is probably a fairly wealthy man. We know that he's a Pharisee. We also know that he thinks highly of himself, don't we? As far as we know, he did not offer his guests, at least he didn't offer Jesus, the things that a homeowner would typically offer their guests, things like a bowl of water for the washing of their hands or their feet or the oil that you might get to wash your hands or your face, those kinds of things. Nothing was offered. And I'm wondering if it's because Simon considered himself a little bit better than those that were at his table because of his place in society, or maybe it was just that he was preoccupied with this man that he had invited, this Jesus. Maybe he just wanted to talk personally with this guy that everyone else was talking about. Maybe he just wanted to ask him a few questions, but it's quickly apparent that he has a problem with Jesus. Seems to me that his problem is bigger than just right and wrong. It's about this new reality that Jesus is bringing with him as compared to the traditions that Simon knows. And it's difficult to make this kind of change. I'm wondering why we invite Jesus into our lives. Do we invite him in to change us? Or do we invite Jesus in to take things as they are and to get used to the way the things are in our lives? And I can see I'm probably meddling a little bit in my own life, too. And I don't like that particular question because it makes me consider things. So I'm willing to move on if you are. But I want that question to sit with us. Why do we invite Jesus in? But then we discover why Simon invited Jesus, don't we? I bet Simon knew that there would be an opportunity to put this Jesus, this man that everyone's talking to and talking about, to the test and even after Jesus, get this, reads his thoughts, knows what he's thinking, and responds to them, Simon should have known better. 
But Simon is stuck in the assumptions that he has that a true believer separates him or herself from those labeled sinner. And Jesus brings a new way. And when this person comes in, Jesus does something completely different. And before we begin to throw our imaginary stones at Simon, saying, oh, I would never do that. Let's remember and recognize that in our own lives, we probably lean more towards Simon's understanding of justice over forgiveness. We find ourselves in a place where it's often better to see someone get what they deserve rather than what they should get from their creator God. Maybe it's like this in your house or maybe not, but when one of our children who you may or may not know, they will remain nameless, um, they go into the room of one of their brothers for the sole purpose of locating this borrowed item uh, that has found its way, there isn't much grace extended from one sibling to the other. The first response is usually violent, and it involves some judgment. Things like, get out of my room, along with some force. We let that happen for a little bit because, you know, boys got to do these kind of things, but not for long because we want grace to come along. We have preconceived ideas about people, don't we? When we see them, we make immediate judgments. We don't even give them a chance based on what they wear, where they work, based on our previous experience with that person, especially if they're your brother. We judge. And grace may eventually come, but it's typically, again, typically, not the first thing out of us. Aren't we glad that, as we see in our passage today, God looks at us differently? And to show us how God sees us, we are introduced to this woman who comes to this dinner party uninvited. She was one of those uninvited, around-the-wall kind of guests who couldn't help but show up because Jesus was there. She barges into this dinner that's by invitation only. She bursts into tears. She takes her long, undone hair. She wipes Jesus' feet and then pours on some kind of perfume that she brought. It's apparent that whatever her sin was, which is important because in the scripture the word is was, and it's written in such a way that we know that it's no longer part of her. Her reputation preceded her, known by everyone as that. Maybe one of her secrets is how wealthy she is because the perfume she brought, we see in Mark and John, the parallel stories in our Gospels, that this perfume is an expensive jar of perfume. It's worth about a year's wages. If you're spraying something like that on, we need to have a conversation. A year's wages. And she pours them all onto Jesus' feet. Clearly this unnamed woman didn't concern herself too much with what everyone else around her was thinking. What we see here is that her experience of having received forgiveness led her to genuinely express her love for Jesus in this way, extravagantly. Her extravagance of using this perfume shows us the extravagance of God in loving us enough to forgive us. Now, I love that Jesus wants to help 
this confused Simon understand some of what's going on in front of him, how does he do it? By telling him a story. Of course he is. That's what Jesus does. But he also says, hey, Simon, do you see this woman? The traditions say that we don't even notice. We are completely separate. And Jesus asked the question, which in Luke, sight is a huge thing. Jesus says, do you see this woman? Jesus is actually expecting Simon to change perspectives somehow during these moments. Now this story is about one debtor who has ten times more debt than the other, yet both are forgiven equally. Simon agrees, both are forgiven, but the one who's been forgiven more will love more. What we see, though, is that these debtors are in no place to bargain for anything. And we see that grace allows these debts to be removed. You'll notice that all through Scripture, our sins are often referred to as debts. The love and forgiveness that have made this woman feel accepted by God, which, by the way, is the story's point, have produced her acts of extravagant love. What do you suppose Simon is thinking at this very moment? Hey, wait just a minute. Remember, Simon has these things behind him that are pushing him, these traditions that are holding him up. Uh, Jesus, I keep the law. I do all the things I'm supposed to do. And she's going to get the same kind of forgiveness that I am. What is that about? And by the way, who are you to forgive? There's Simon's thoughts, perhaps. Which I think says a lot about our understanding of forgiveness. We can learn a lot about forgiveness from this passage. First of all, Forgiveness is either unconditional on us, or it's not forgiveness at all. We desperately try to help God see that we deserve, or that we are ready for God's forgiveness. It seems that we think if we can produce enough feeling of unworthiness, that we can then persuade God to forgive us. We desperately want to contribute something to our forgiveness when all we really contribute is our sin. Here's the thing, though. The woman came to Jesus because she had been forgiven, not in order to. Her response was not to receive something. It was a response to what had already occurred. We have been forgiven on the cross. Your Bible may say something in verse 47 like this. So I tell you, her great love proves that her many sins have been forgiven. Her love was the witness to her faith and the forgiveness that she received. What we see here is that our response to this forgiveness has to be our repentance. That is our participation in our forgiveness. Turning away from this sin. That's our participation. Nearly everything about this woman at the dinner party is offensive. From the way she lets her hair down to the way she weeps and then wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. It's all offensive except for the attitude that brought her to that place. So the question is, I think, how do we deal with our own forgiveness? Do we ignore it and not respond to it at all? 
Are we grateful enough to change something about us because of this forgiveness? Do we love God a little or do we love God much? It seems to me that we love God less because we think that somehow we can do this on our own. And if we can contribute, then God does not get all of this love and appreciation. If you've had small children in your home ever, you know what this looks like. From that moment that you no longer need to hold their head because they can support themselves, even though it's a bobblehead, they can support themselves, to the moment that they roll over on their own and it freaks you out just a little bit, to the moment that they grab something and pull up and then start scooting around the room with handhold to handhold, and then that frightening moment when they take off on a staggered sprint through the hallway or their room. Then one day you find yourself at preschool or kindergarten and you drop that child off perhaps in their room and then they realize that they can make it a half a day maybe without mom or dad or grandparents. And then those years coming, you just kind of drop them off wherever you can find a place and they just take off going to school. It gets busy around the elementary schools in the city. You just drop them off where you can and they take off and they can do it on their own. At some point they find themselves in a vehicle and you don't even have to drive them around anymore. Which is glorious. We fight for independence. We love being independent people most of the time. Part of being a a part of a community like First Baptist Church Norman is allowing others in. Secretly, we long for people to truly know us, even those of us who hide our emotional responses to everything. We also long for God to truly know us. But we often find ourselves fighting for independence from God, don't we? We we sing Amazing Grace and we love that song, but we can't believe that that's actually about us, that it can be real for us. We try to do the right things in order to be accepted by God and forgiven by God, and frankly, we just need to stop it. We just need to stop it. We have been forgiven. One thing to consider is that we will become more grateful people when we realize that we owe nothing to ourselves for this forgiveness. There is no slapping ourselves on the back for our forgiveness. This is from God totally and completely, and it is an extravagant kind of love that only God can truly share But it's the extravagant love that forgives us, that leads us to an extravagant generosity toward our neighbor, towards those around us. And as an example of this extravagant generosity, I want to show you a piece of a video that has been circulating over the last few weeks. If you have any social media of any kind, you've seen this, no doubt, or at least seen it come across your feed. I've taken some things out of it because it's an example, I think of an extravagant generosity. There's a bank in Canada who decided it was time to thank their customers. And so they turned their, one of their ATMs, which we all know stands for automated teller machines, at least I think that's what it stands for, into an automated thanking machine. Rather original, wouldn't you say? And so when someone came to this ATM, a voice would have a conversation with them. I don't know if this person is sitting inside the box or if they're just around And there's a microphone and a camera, and I don't know how this works. But what ends up happening is the people who come experience something extraordinary from this bank. Now, what I want us to notice as we watch this is the amount of gratitude 
in the room. I'm just going to show you two examples that the entire video shows. But we need to listen closely so you can hear the gratitude here. She's my only daughter. She has cancer and she had uh, an operation on Tuesday. I wanted to thank you in a very specialized way. There's actually a card coming up for you right there. And if you look inside each piggy bank, there's a check for $1,000 to start RESP for your kids. Really? Yes. Well, the thanking's not done, Chrissy. What? Here's the thing. If you tell your kids, hey, here's an RESP, they'll be all, nah. But if you tell them you're taking them to a place like Disney. No. Yes. I promise they give her tickets to go to Disney. And she can't believe it. And as a mother, she's never been able to take her kids anywhere. And so she is blown away. The uh, older mother, whose daughter is sick in Trinidad, has never been able to go see her while she's been sick. They give her two tickets to go to Trinidad to see her daughter, who is ill. And what you see at that moment in this video is this mother breaking down, weeping because she gets the chance to go see her daughter, who is ill. That is the kind of gratitude, both from the bank to the customer, but then from these mothers, because of what has happened, nothing that they asked for that they felt they deserved, but it was given to them. That is some extravagant gratitude. And in our story today, can you see the extravagant love that she pours out For the person who has forgiven her. Oh God that we would accept your extravagance and then pass it on to those around us. If the question this morning is who showed the most love in this passage. The obvious answer is the woman. But a fair question to then ask is. Are we going to love God a little or a lot because of what God has done for us? Are we going to respond in a way that shows our depth of gratitude to God? Or shall we go on about our lives as if nothing out of the ordinary has happened? It's really up to us.